coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. We share the new Patrick and Mark Amiibos, but they are extremely fragile. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We are going to be talking about the news from the week, including the Mr. Sakurai Presents Kazuya Mishima video. And then on Thursday, we are going to be ranking the Mario Rabbids, or the Rabbids that have like morphed themselves to be like Mario. But Mark, in the meantime, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, my husband is... Oh, wait, sorry, sorry. Actually, two updates. One is that I tried wow. <laughs> last week. I discovered for the first time in my life um, that yellow watermelon was a thing that existed, and so I right. have to I have to update everyone on the status of yellow watermelon. I did try it. It ta- I can confirm that it tastes um, just like regular watermelon, even though it looks right. like a concoction from the 1990s. Like in the same lab that they came up with blue raspberry. That this like lemon watermelon should uh, like taste radical. It doesn't taste that radical. It just tastes like watermelon. Um, right. And 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 shout out to at Super Game Joy on on Twitter for uh, uh, also jumping in on the uh, yellow watermelon. Is it real? How does it taste? Uh, conversation. It was a real relief to me. Like in uh, last episode, I like begged listeners to let us know if they knew what yellow watermelon were because uh, I was the first time I was exposed to it. And so at Super Game Joy, let us know that they did not know what ye- yellow watermelon was or hadn't seen or heard of a yellow watermelon right. before last week. And so uh, that's a relief to me. Okay, so that was your first update. Update oh, number sorry, two. Sorry, sorry. My second update. <laughs> my second update. Stay on task, Mark. <laughs> my second update is that um, my husband is out of town. And um, uh, that's not an invitation. We're not going to have a party or anything. I, wow. <laughs> I'm just so before he left, he like he was so concerned about like making sure that I had a meal plan and making sure that I had like like food. Like, I think he was genuinely concerned that I wasn't going to eat when he wasn't there. And it made me realize that like in uh, our relationship, I'm like the dumb husband in a sitcom. And he's like the hot partner who has it all together. Yeah. And, like, that's, um, I mean, it makes sense now that I see it play out like this. Like, it makes total sense. He is the hot one. He is the smart one. But it's just, like, ah, it just kind of, like, kind of hurts a little bit. Stings a little, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, here's, here's the thing. Uh, well, I don't think that that is necessarily uh, tr- truly your dynamic. Um, not to say that he's not hot and that he's not smart. He's obviously both. Um, but I think it is so hard after... Um, like feeding yourself in the context of being a couple for so long, especially during this pandemic, right? Um, to go from that to just feeding yourself, like you have to, it's it's considerable effort where you're like, I'm I'm going to decide to prepare food just for me, <laughs> just so I don't die. Feels like such a waste. Yeah, such a waste. Mark, uh, now that you have obviously uh, uh just a ton of extra time on your hands, uh, I, there's because uh, your husband's not around for a week. Um, 
I have to tell you that I have to upgrade the relevance of Star Wars The Bad Batch from a Clone Wars sequel series to probably relevant to all of the live-action Star Wars series that are coming out. So I was worried that this might be the case. I have seen some things floating around on Twitter, maybe even about this last episode, that I'm like, do I need to start watching this for its connection to episode two, Attack of the Clones? Oh, uh, that's not... I'm going to say two, probably the forthcoming... um, Boba Fett, Book of oh, Boba Fett series. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, I mean, there, there, there is one Fennec, uh, the the character that we see Boba Fett uh, palling around with at the end of uh, Mando season two. Um, it plays plays a role in the episode, but then there or, or in 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 the Bad Batch. But there's also another character that I will not give away that has a very strong connection to Boba Fett. That it's just like. I don't see how we're not going to see this character on the on the on the new live action TV show. Ooh, I am intrigued. Okay, okay, so maybe maybe I will have to start the Bad Batch. Um, speaking of things, you may have to start my copy of Sonic Forces. Would you like to borrow it or at least try? Um, all you gotta do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail and give us a mailing address where I can send you my copy of this game for the Nintendo Switch. You play it for as long as you want. You pack it back up in an envelope. I provide with postage. I provide and mail it back to me. It costs you nothing. Uh, the one hitch is that there may be a copy of Untitled Goose Game in my copy of Sonic Forces. Um, so if that's the case, then hey, you play. It's the exact same scenario, except every time I said Sonic Forces before, you just replace it with Untitled Goose Game and everything works out exactly the same. The other thing we're doing is asking people to leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We check the U.S. Apple Apple Podcast Store, give people a shout-out when they leave us a five-star review there. But if you leave us a review of any kind anywhere else, just shoot us an email, send us a tweet, and uh, we'll give you a shout-out out on the show. Thank you to Pete Farr. Now, there's a name that I'm familiar with um, for leaving us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast Store this past week. Uh, my good friend Pete Farr. Um, th- thank, thanks, Pete, for reviewing. Everyone should, if you are interested in um, tabletop gaming, uh, Pete does a monthly um, tabletop gaming podcast uh, called Rum and Wings, uh, and uh, they uh, they started out with the goal of talking about the rum that they were going to be drinking, the wings that they were going to be eating, and the games that they were going to be playing. And it's quickly become just about the games that they're playing. <laughs> But it's it's a delight. So go go check them out too. And thank you, Pete. Um, if anyone else wants to look, I'll shout out uh, another person's podcast. If you give us a five star review, uh, I think that's that's fair play. Um, Mark, we've got some emails here uh, based on some topics that we were discussing uh, slash some topics that we swore to never discuss again. <laughs> um, but first, uh, first we got an email from uh, Colton about uh, Dragon Quest Eleven music. Colton writes, uh, Mark and Patrick. Uh, no need to address this on the show. You can if you want, but Colton, I want. Uh, am I the only one in the universe who thinks Dragon Quest XI-S Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition, uh, not only for the Nintendo Switch anymore, actually has good music? 
Granted, I do feel the field theme can get grading at first, as can the battle theme. Uh, but to be honest, they kind of grew on me. Uh, maybe Mark should consider changing to Dragon Quest VIII's field theme in the settings and see how he likes that. Uh, I'm trying to avoid spoilers, so apologies if I can't discuss further. Uh, and I think that actually is where I'm, I'm going to uh, cut, cut off the email there. Um, and I, so I do think that Colton does have a point. However, I think the three worst pieces of music in the game are the field theme, the battle theme, and the main dungeon theme, um, which are the pieces of music you hear most in the game. Also, uh, the fact that you can use the Dragon Quest VIII field theme if you want is totally... I had no idea. Truly, Dragon Quest XI-S Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch and other platforms is the Definitive Edition if you can use the field theme from Dragon Quest VIII. So that's awesome. I might try that. But yeah, Colton, truthfully, look, I'm really early in the game, so I'm willing to believe that later uh, it gets has some nice compositions, but you might genuinely be one of the few people who think that this game has good music. I mean, I, I, I do remember hitting moments in the game where I was moved by the beauty of the music, but like those are specific scripted moments um, and, uh, like a few town themes are actually, uh, pretty good, but like, I think you just have to uh, also just like the, the basic town theme as, as you like, like kind of circusy. Um, yeah, like the, the, the loop gets, it gets pretty obnoxious. Um, but yeah, I mean, not, not, not to rag on something that I was just conceding a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think there is good music in there. It's just not like the music that they make you hear most often, especially early in the game. Um, and then we also got an email from um, Thomas, who wrote us a, a, a nice long email. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, we read it and I shared it with Mark um, and uh, we enjoyed it a lot. Uh, there's one thing that we did want to bring up and I, uh, I and we'll read from your email here. Uh, and this is, I, I'm sorry to say, this is us going back on a promise that we made uh, to ourselves and to our audience. So everyone buckle up for the next, I don't know, seven minutes. We're going to be talking about E3 2021 again. I'm so sorry. Thomas writes, I hope this email gets to you in time for the final E3 2021 episode. Um, da -da 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 -da. Uh, if it is already, uh, if it is already passed, feel free to ignore the suggestion or or, or break your honestly quite shaky oath of never talking about E3 2021 again. What are your guys' opinions on Nintendo only briefly addressing the 35th and Zelda anniversary with a Zelda-themed Game & Watch and nothing else? I know Nintendo can't celebrate every game's 35th anniversary, but you'd think they'd have something more in store for Zelda? Personally, a Game & Watch does nothing for me as I believe it to be, I believe it's a product that speaks to a sort of niche market, only mega Zelda fans and collectors and potentially scalpers. So there's not much for me to celebrate on this occasion. Maybe a bit of a negative question, but I'm curious. I just couldn't imagine that Nintendo would do so much for Mario, but so little for Zelda. It seems unbalanced to me. Um, and we also, we got uh, another question, Mark, I'm just going to uh, throw this one in here too, uh, and we can discuss it all as a whole. Uh, this one from Jay, Jay writes, hey guys, why isn't anyone calling out Nintendo for being big liars? In Nintendo's pre-E3 communication, they said their presentation would only focus on software. Zelda Game & Watch, I believe that's hardware. What else is Nintendo lying about? 
Jay. Uh, okay, so Mark, uh, taken as a whole, how do you feel about the Game & Watch being Nintendo's only method of celebrating the Zelda 35th anniversary? And do you think it sucks that they said they weren't going to reveal hardware, uh, but in fact they did reveal hardware? <laughs> um, okay, to the first part, I uh, have like agree with your line of thinking, Patrick, which is that the th- a 35th anniversary of anything is really weird like Weird. to celebrate as like a milestone anniversary and uh, they obviously had a lot like a number of things lined up for Mario's 35th anniversary but i wonder if partly that was because like i mean they based basically the entire last half of 2020 around that so it's like hey we need like something maybe other stuff got delayed but anyways it seemed like something that was shifted from like summer to something that became like the focus of the year um and i don't know if that would have been the case if like covid hadn't happened and so the fact that we're not getting like a ton of stuff for zelda's 35th anniversary doesn't really bother me because it's like it's a 35th anniversary Right, that maybe when we get to a 40, there'll be something else to talk about. I also, look, I stand by my uh, prediction that I think I've also gone back on, um, that if we hear more about uh, Zelda re-releases on Switch, we will hear about them the Thursday after Skyward Sword uh, releases. So I'm still putting my flag on July 22nd, uh, 2021, to hear more about uh, other Zelda games coming to Switch. Well, that kind of ties into um, Jay's email, which is, do you think Nintendo or uh, Aonuma was lying when, or misleading us, I'll say, when uh, he said that there are no more Switch mm-hmm. games, uh, like Zelda games coming to Switch um, this year or whatever it was in conjunction with the 35th anniversary or whatever. I still tend to believe that that is the, the case, but I'm curious if uh, you, yeah, if you are saying, yeah, on July 22nd, we're going to hear more. And that is going to include more Zelda games. I mean, I'm holding that prediction date if for no other reason than if I'm right, I will feel like a god. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, it, I, I think we may have to go back and like parse his language again, but I believe he said no more new games, new Switch games, right? He said new Switch games. I don't remember. And you could argue. I don't remember either, <laughs> but I'm making I'm making this argument now as though it is true. Uh, you could argue that uh, Twilight Princess HD and Wind Waker HD are not, in fact, new games. I guess that is technically correct. Also, I just looked it up, and it appears that Coral is the 35th anniversary gift, or maybe Emerald is like mm. the gemstone, um, and emeralds are green. I have no, I, I don't really have anything here. Um, I yeah, was just looking at it. The year up. of Luigi was like eight, eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Emerald, right? <sighs> okay, well, so, uh, and then do we, we think Nintendo are big liars and everyone's just going to let them off, <laughs> off the hook for revealing something that wasn't just software? Yeah, I think it's um, one of those like fun, like if, uh, if they had shown the new Nintendo Switch Pro or whatever, like, would people have been upset? No, definitely not. People would have been excited. Uh, all right, Mark. Thank you, everyone, for writing in. Uh, it has been uh, really great interacting with people around E3 and after E3, which, by the way, we are done talking about now forever. Um, so you can always email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com. At gmail.com. And 
Let us know what you're uh, thinking about, what we can talk about on this show. All right, Mark, let's get into what we have been playing. Metroid Zero Mission. I finished it. Um, it uh, is a way shorter game than I uh, remember. You, even uh, when we talked about it at this point last week, um, I was just getting to the end of the uh, like main power suit uh, area, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I don't remember the the zero suit section being all that long. Um, and I was right. Uh, and like about an hour or so later, I was done playing the game. Um, a fantastic, Whoa, crazy. tight little experience. Yeah, my game clock was like three hours and 23 minutes or something. Um, so like if you have the means to play Metroid Zero Mission, like absolutely go for it. It's it's not, you know, it'll take you like, it'll be a fun afternoon. Like it's, uh, it, 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 it's a great little game. Uh, and then I've also been playing, uh, I, I continue to play Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, um, which is a, a good little cute experience for me. Um, Thank you to uh, Alana, who sent us um, a Super Mario Maker 2 level, um, which I, uh, y if you tweet any Super Mario Maker 2 level at uh, either me or at Nintendo Cartridge Society, I will absolutely play it um, and then, you know, get lost in uh, Mario Maker for like an hour and a half, just like scrolling through um, cool levels that people have made. Um, so yeah, that 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 was super fun. Uh, you can check out our our Twitter feed at Nincart Society, um, as we have uh, retweeted uh, Alana's level there. Yeah, and maybe maybe I'll include it in the show notes as well. I oh, yeah, great. I, I checked out the level as well. It's it's uh really fun with like fireballs raining down out of pipes. Um, I'm uh happy to say, Patrick, that I completely kicked your butt in that level. Uh, I beat your time by wow. two seconds. And so um feeling pretty good about that too. Wow, wow. <laughs> I didn't did not realize this was going to turn into a competition. All right. All right. Well, I'm going back in. I'm going back in, Mark. Um I have been playing uh I guess both of us actually have been playing Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages, uh the original Game Boy game. I've been playing it on my Nintendo 3DS in preparation uh we are going to be appearing on friend of the show, previous guest Connor McCabe's um, Zelda Game Club is part of the uh, Super NPC Radio podcast uh, that he is a host of. Um, I don't know if I've ever played Oracle of Ages before. I think I've played Seasons. I've played one of them before, and I cannot remember which one it is exactly. Um, but so, but it has been so long that either way, I'd be playing this one pretty much fresh. And that uh, yeah. it is a interesting experience I, I i will say um i'm not too far into it but oracle of ages is interesting so far yeah and i i mean there's there's something present in oracle of ages and seasons um where it does like the zelda thing of taking a map and giving you two different versions of it you know like the whole light world dark world um you know normal land world of twilight sort of dynamic um but it does it from the very beginning um which i find uh to be an unsatisfying twist on that formula um like one of the things that's so good about a link to the past is that you've been running around hyrule for a couple hours and then you're like whoa there's a dark world version of this too and then you're walking through areas you've already been and you're like oh my god i remember when this was farmland as far as the uh 
you know, like you, you become Doc Brown uh, musing about uh, Twin Pines Mall. Um, and uh, in Oracle of uh, Ages, I mean, first of all, you're transported to a, a new world immediately and then transported through time immediately. So like there's no point where you have like a basis for what reality is. And so when reality is subverted by something else, in this case, traveling through time, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, I do wonder if part of it is like at that point it had kind of been like built into the Zelda formula. And so it's just like, well, we'll just cut to the chase like you're kind of expecting it. Um, So here it is. But I mean, I mean, think of think of how it compares to the time travel mechanic in Ocarina of Time, right? Where like traveling through time means something. Um, and like it simply doesn't mean anything in uh, Oracle of Ages. It's just like a swap over to a slightly different map with slightly different characters. Yeah, that's true. And also, when I, I guess, you know, I was saying like, oh, it's like an established thing. But I guess by this time, really, the only game that had done it is, um, uh, uh, is, uh, wow, Link to the Past. Um, what, what year did, uh, Oracle? of ages come out oh, we're gonna have to look this up now yeah I'm, I'm looking it up too um it was released in oh <laughs> in 2001 so you're right yeah yeah o- ocarina had it beat by a couple of years <laughs> yeah yeah uh it, it is novel to be playing a new to me uh 2d zelda game like that's fun yeah, totally. I do feel like that's so crazy to me that it came out in 2001. It f- definitely does not feel like uh, a 2001 game to me. It feels less sophisticated than that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it's it's Game Boy Color, but like a Game Boy Color is still basically a Game Boy, right? Um, it, it is interesting to me how much the game does play with color and like demand that you pay attention to the color of things. Um, uh, like it's just weird to sort of segment the Game Boy market like that, right? Like there were so many Game Boys out there in the world, and then they're like, "No, you can only play this one on Game Boy Color." So you know, anytime you you think like, "Oh, Nintendo's not gonna lock out their old Nintendo Switch uh, like player base," uh, they might. <laughs> uh, and I know that I said that I wasn't going to get sidetracked or try not to get sidetracked from Dragon Quest Eleven S. Um, but oh, Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch. Uh, sadly, um, I have only had time to play Oracle of Ages, and so I have in fact had to set it aside. But I promise that I will return to it as soon as possible. Um, the other thing I want to mention is that uh, Mario Golf Super Rush came out last week. I didn't end up picking it up. I feel like reviews have been a little mixed, and so I'm curious uh, if any listeners have been playing it. And if you have any recommendations or impressions, uh, I would love to hear them. So send those over and let us know what you think. What you think of it uh, if you've been playing it? Yeah, because it seems right now like the general scuttlebutt is like it's a pretty good Mario Golf game um, without like a robust um, you know RPG esque um, story mode um, and with sort of limited courses. But um, I I, w- I would love to hear uh, what other people's experience of the game uh are so uh you know write into us nintendo cartridge society at gmail.com and let us know 
Um, all right, Mark, that's what we've been playing this week. Let's get into the new releases and what we might be playing next week. Today, Tuesday, June 29th, Disgaea 6, Defiance of Destiny, is released for Switch. Also, Destroy All Humans is released for Switch. And on the Switch eShop, you can pick up Zombies Ate My Neighbors and Ghoul Patrol, um, the re-release of those Super Nintendo games for on the Nintendo Switch eShop. Then, uh, do, do I want to pick, pick up that package so I can play Ghoul Patrol? I have a cartridge for Zombies Ate My Neighbors. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I can't remember offhand how much um, this package is. I, my memory of playing Zombies Ate My Neighbors is that it was like an interesting curiosity, but it wasn't enough to like hold my interest. And um, I wonder if like Ghoul Patrol will be the same way. But if it's like reasonably priced, then yeah, I mean, sure, why not pick it up? Uh, it's it's fourteen ninety nine, which is, uh, I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, I was expecting it to be twenty. I, I thought I was thinking twenty two. Like for me, like fifteen bucks, that's like right, like borderline, where it's like, okay, I mean, I, I mean, who am I to say? Because I bought the um uh the Fire Emblem like re release that they did in like December and I have never turned that on. So it's like, I haven't even turned it on. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I mean, who am I, who am I to judge? Um, And then on Wednesday, June 30th, Doki Doki literature club plus is released on the switch eShop. This is like a visual novel that is kind of like a play on visual novels uh, uh, without giving too much away. And also because I haven't played it. So I don't know entirely. There's like a twist in it that um, completely changes the dynamic of the game. Uh, apparently it's a little dark, definitely not re- recommended for children, but um, uh, it, it seems interesting. I don't know that I'll actually pick it up. Um, but I mean, that, that seems a, at least a little bit up your alley. Although I guess, um, well, no, I, I don't know. I, cause you played, uh, what, what was the name of the, uh, the game where uh, it was like a visual novel and you're trying to figure out who uh, is the alien. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Genosia, Genosia, yeah, or Genosis. Um, so that's Genosis. Kind of... It might one one of those two, but yeah, it does seem like it, I I agree. I am intrigued by it. I don't know that I'll end up picking it up right now, but I think I'm gonna like wish list it so when it goes on sale on the in the future, yeah, I might pick smart. it up then. Um. All right. Well, those are the new releases for next week. Mark, let's close this segment out. <laughs> That, of course, brings us to a regular segment on our show. Mark, it is time for 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or group of performers didn't play their instruments for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. So, for the duration of one performance, 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Uh, Mark, we are taking a suggestion today, uh, also from Thomas, from that nice email that we got from him. Uh, we are going to be discussing childhood fears. Mark, any childhood fears come to mind? Yeah, I have two that kind of like, they both revolve around a swimming pool. Um, when, I was, <laughs> when I was a small, impressionable child, my family took a vacation to Universal Studios Hollywood, where we went on the tram tour. And they used to have um, a King Kong, like, uh, like part of the tram tour that's different from the one now. 
where you would encounter a enormous like King Kong animatronic that was like life size. It was really impressive. It was really cool. Wow. And um, actually, if you watch the that like eighties movie, The Wizard, uh, there's a part where they are at Hollywood Studios and they like get out of the tram and they're like running around down there. Um, we did record an episode about that movie with Ryan Mogi a couple of years ago, so you can go back and check that out. That's right. And uh, so, but my fear as a child, like I was fascinated, but also scared by that that animatronic. So my fear as a child was that in the deep end of our swimming pool, if I touched the bottom of it, that that King Kong animatronic would like come from the bottom of the pool. And so I lived in constant fear of that. Constant fear? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and then, yeah. Well, it's, it, it, it is uh, amazing to me that you went on the tram ride at Universal and you developed a pool-based fear that was not Jaws. It <laughs> was not Jaws. <laughs> a shark jumps out of the water. They have to blow stuff up to get him away. Yeah, I don't know. That, that one didn't even phase me. Didn't even think twice. Um, and then you, it, sound, it sounded like you had a second. Oh, just the second one was uh, from watching a lot of Matlock as a kid. I was worried that somebody was going to throw like a uh, <laughs> like a hair dryer into the pool. And I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be electrocuted and die. Anyways, Patrick, how about you? Any childhood fears? No, that's... <laughs> um, well, okay. Before I, I reveal one of my childhood fears, um, you mentioning the uh, the... Uh, tram-based um, uh, King Kong fears uh, reminded me that my little brother, after going on the, this is also a ride at. Uh, oh wait, where is where's the ET ride? It's at Disney World somewhere. No, right? it's at Universal Studios Orlando. Are both? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think all are all of our childhood fears Universal theme park based. <laughs> well, not mine, but oh, well, it was still still on 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 my brother. Um, ET scared the crap out of him um so you know we we would uh just about every every year we would go down to orlando hit some theme parks and then go down to my grandparents who also lived in florida um and uh like that whole trip uh jack would wake up in the middle of the night with like nightmares about et like coming to get him which is incredible and then he was also terrified of the uh wicked queen in the snow white ride um which was was scary um but I, I, I don't know that I had any, like, real, like, I, I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, um, but my uncle teasing me and saying that he was going to take me to get my ears pierced, um, that really, like, really scared me. Um, like, I don't, what did I think he was actually going to do it, <laughs> that my parents were going like, <laughs> to let him take me to the mall and get my ears pierced? Also, what's the big deal, Patrick? It wouldn't be that... Wouldn't be that bad. You would heal. Yeah, right you would. You would have been the coolest, like, uh, uh, sixth grader ever. Speaking of which, how is uh, how is your ear wound? Oh, my my ear wound has uh has completely healed. Um, uh, for for those uh, just jumping in now, I did cut my ear shaving the other day. Uh, it bled a lot. Uh, I put a band aid on it, and then a couple days later, I took the band aid off, and it started bleeding again. Um, so no, it is. Uh, I'm I'm back in a in a place where um it is good. Um, yeah. So I'm 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 okay. <laughs> uh oh uh, sorry our uh 433 recording has ended um it is not a it's a live performance but it's like a zoom performance so there's no audience and therefore no applause um we were accompanied today by the battleboro concert choir um mark let's get into the news (laughs) 
Um, Monday morning, Nintendo... Actually, sorry, real fast. I think if you are recording a Zoom edition of 433, that you should just applaud yourself. Because that way it becomes more usable for us. Like, I think it's I think it's acceptable to give yourself a round of applause after recording a rendition of 433. But that's just my opinion. Right. Uh, Mark, we should apply that logic to ourselves and applaud... <laughs> applaud our performance on the show when when we finish tonight we should absolutely uh monday morning nintendo released a mr sakurai presents video presentation on the latest super smash brothers ultimate dlc character tekken's kazuya uh mishima from tekken which i think i already said just repeating myself at this point um yeah naturally a lot of this presentation showed off the character's moveset like a lot of this presentation showed off uh the character's moveset uh, which, like, Ryu, Ken, and Terry is based on the way he, the character, like, plays in his original game. Um, lots of talk of, like, uh, his Tekken moveset and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, j- just like those other characters um, that you can perform as special moves by uh, either just pushing the B button to do, like, a, you know, special moves as you would normally do them in Smash Brothers, or by doing the, like, button input, uh, like, commands like the uh, Dragon Punch motion or the Hadouken motion. Um, and it's, it's so cool to see um, Sakurai as he explains what these things are and how you input them, that he points like left, down, down, left. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it seems so natural to him um, to, to show it off that way. It's really cool. Uh, yeah, and most of his special moves and, uh, and air moves engage his devil gene which is a quality specific to only a handful of Tekken characters. Again, I didn't play, like, I have casually played Tekken, so this was probably my most, the most exposure I've ever had to, like, the mechanics of Tekken before. Um, and uh, the fact that he has the Devil Gene is offered up as the reason why this, the Tekken rep in Smash Brothers Ultimate isn't uh, Haihachi. Which, so, like, just to kind of give a little bit more context to that, you know that a lot of the Tekken characters are pretty grounded in just like their dudes doing martial arts. Yeah, is there also a bear? And <laughs> yes, is there a dude with a like a tiger head? Absolutely. Um, but so they they wanted like something that would uh you know kind of separate them from the rest of the just sort of karate doing dudes. Um, and so the characters that had the devil gene, which like allowed them to turn into a sort of a demon version of themselves. Um. That was evidently what drove them to uh, choosing Kazuya and making him more of a like dynamic Smash Brothers esque character. Uh, yeah, Patrick, you have a note in here that just talking about Kazuya's moves went on for over twenty eight minutes. So these are like the d- wild. D- deep dives that I normally I normally like check out um, after uh, Sakurai like does his little intro because I find him so charming. Um, but usually I'll just like scrub through the rest and just be like uh just seeing the highlights like things that i want to check out um the new stage included with the character is a mishima dojo it's like a close um like indoors uh like dojo closed off walls and ceilings but they can be broken to knock players out it's a smaller space so the battles are crowded uh they point out that that's to make it like tekken um Hihachi hangs out in the background reacting to KOs and there's no plating, floating platforms except for the battlefield version. I, I think the stage looks really cool. Stage looks really, really cool. I'm I'm excited that Heihachi's in, in the background and like just sort of meditating. Um and like 
kind of grumpily stands up when there's something to react to. Um, it, it's so cool to see them put like that much personality into a a background character. You know, we saw um a fair amount of um King of Fighters uh background characters in Terry Bogart's level. Um, but like I don't know that they were really doing something that felt you know like quintessentially like those characters. Um, but like. I don't know, this feels like a Hachi. It, it, it's cool. To show Kazuya off, Sakurai uh, did a one versus five tag team battle against the five characters that Kazuya threw into the volcano in the reveal video. But uh, Sakurai died. Like, he failed. <laughs> he died. Um, Min, yeah. Min Min finished him off. Um, and I, so he had to try a second time. I don't think it's ever happened before, and if it has, they haven't kept it in the video. But I like the fact that they did keep it in the video, and it was, and his reaction to it was really, it was really funny. Sakurai is just so charming. He's he's so charming. I, I love that man. It makes me think that all the previous times he's doing it on the first take. Yeah, I think right? you're right. Because why else would they keep it in? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, oh, and of course, whenever there's a new character, we all want to know what Kirby's transformation into that character is going to be. Uh, for Kazuya, Kirby transforms again to use the uh, devil beam, and it is, is, of course, very cute. Right, so he transforms once when he, like, eats Kazuya, um, and he's got two different colored eyes, and his hair is, like, all high and everything. And then when he uses the, like, devil beam ability, or devil black, whatever it's called, um, that he like turns into a little demon version of himself. It's super cute. Uh, there's a new spirit board. Naturally, the Jin spirit can be upgraded at level 99 to Devil Jin. Um, for the Heihachi spirit challenge, if you have previously purchased the Heihachi wig and outfit for the Mii costumes, the Mii fighter will be wearing them. Otherwise, it's just like whatever. Um, which I, I find this to be odd. Uh, like... I, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's a fun reward if you have already purchased this Mii, Mii Fighter costume that when you fight the spirit, it will look more like Heihachi. Um, but, like, why not just... why not? <laughs> it's one fight once. Like, why not uh, let people fight against a, a Mii Fighter that looks like Heihachi? Yeah, totally. I completely agree. Oh, I skipped over a couple um, of things here. Yeah. Um, 39, uh, this, this fighter pack includes 39 songs. From the Tekken series, including nine remixes. Oh my gosh. It's so much music. And I mean, honestly, that just like kind of goes to the whole, um, like someday I want to sit down and really just like compile all of the stuff that's added in these uh, two fighter packs. Um, how, many how many hours of new music uh, alone are, are in, in the game just because of the DLC? Uh, you know, never mind the uh, 12 additional characters. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. I also wonder like um how much like rebalancing of the game has to be done with every new character that's added because I imagine and I could be completely wrong, but I imagine that like other characters are adjusted like in small subtle ways in order to like balance the game against the new characters. It just seems like an enormous yeah. undertaking every time a new character is added. Um, in lieu of a fanfare for Kazuya's victory screen, the Tekken announcer, there's no music, which, uh, Sakurai points out is like a first, and the, the Tekken announcer declares him the winner, and Kazuya has three victory stances based on his stances in various Tekken games. Again, it's really fun to watch Sakurai talk about this, because he, um, 
Uh, he seems to genuinely enjoy like pretty much every character that they put into this game. Yeah, and and really is is uh, smart about showing how they are paying homage to uh, all, all these other series. Um, uh, you know, either in uh, stances, in I mean, give, they got the Tekken announcer to just do like Kazuya wins, and like that that's it. He's the only <laughs> that's that the only thing they brought him in for is just reading Kazuya wins. We're also on round 10 of Me Fighter costumes, um, and th- we have four that are going to be released alongside uh, the Kazuya d- DLC. These, of course, cost 75 cents each. Um, the first one is Smash uh, Cross Tales of Symphonia, so you're getting Lloyd for the Sword Fighter Me. Um, there's Smash Cross Dragonborn from uh, Skyrim or from Elder Scrolls, but not cal- called out by name for whatever reason. Um, uh, so the dragonborn is also the sword fighter, Dante from devil may, may cry, uh, Dante will be a sword fighter. And then, uh, Shante, the, um, oh, I'm blinking a way forward games platform character, uh, and, and a bonus music track is included with that burning town from half genie hero. So some of these characters have been long, um, fan requests. And, uh, I know there's varying degrees when, those of like enthusiasm when uh like highly requested characters show up as me fighters but i feel like you know to me it's like better than nothing right because like otherwise dante probably just wouldn't show up at all yeah and i mean you know capcom's pretty well represented uh on this roster already um so like yeah i I feel like it would be weird uh, to just keep adding capcom characters um but who knows? the The next character may may also just be like a Resident Evil character. So what do I know? Um, yeah, it, very weird that they were like uh, Smash Cross Dragonborn and Smash Cross Dante. Um, like they couldn't say uh, Elder Scrolls or Devil May Cry for some reason. Yeah, it was it was really it yeah it was really strange. I saw some speculation that uh, it was uh, like I don't know like some sort of like copyright thing or something like that, but. That doesn't really make sense to me that you'd be able to license the character, but then not be able to utter its uh, the game of its origin by name. Right, like that you can't use the game for marketing purposes. <laughs> I don't. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, uh, w- during these presentations, we always expect a release date, and this time was no different. Uh, Kazuya DLC and the Me Fighter DLC, all of that is released today, June 29th, for six bucks, or as well, Kazuya's six bucks. Uh, if you want the Me Fighters, those are seventy-five cents each. But uh, of course, if you have the uh, Fighters Pass Pack Two, um, Kazuya and all that stuff is uh, included in that. Sakurai also showed off a new amiibo. Uh, this time for Min Min, which I believe is the first of the Phase Two amiibo right. that we've seen. Um, he kind of like gently pulled the amiibo over and described it as extremely fa- fragile. So I'm guessing when he was uh, recording this, he had like some sort of like prototype or mock-up of the final thing. Yeah, he usually is is showing off uh, uh prototypes or you know not not final like printings of them. Um, so we can see them uh you know far ahead of their release. Well, and this one's really which we are for this one. Yeah, yeah, completely, <laughs> completely. So uh. Min Min's not available until 2022, and I thought it was funny that in the presentation, because like when he they record these m- pr- at least weeks in advance, probably like months in advance. Um, 
And so he he doesn't know when it's going to come out. So he just says, Sakurai just says, it'll be available on the date mentioned on screen. And on screen, all it says is 2022. <laughs> like, that's all we know. Yeah. That's, that's, as, that's as good as we're getting. I bet I bet we're going to get, like, a, a batch release of, like, a handful of uh, the, the Wave 2 um, characters at at one time. That's that's how they did like the last like three um, from from the previous pack was release them all at the same time. Well, you know, it's interesting that he makes a point um, like right after this, saying that people are expecting amiibo for all the fighters in like the fighters past two characters, and then says Nintendo making an amiibo for Kazuya Mishima uh, Mishima would be a little odd though. Would it? Would it be any odder than any of the other third party ones? Yeah, is it weirder than them making a Castlevania one or a Cloud Strife? Well, like, what, what, what's the line for weird here? You've released a Banjo Kazooie amiibo, like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was strange. I couldn't tell if it was like a joke or if like, I, I couldn't tell. Um, Sakurai closes by saying that he's been working on Smash basically nonstop for ten years, which is pretty wild. Um, he called it his life's work. Uh, which again, this feels very much like, Hey, I'm, I am wrapping up my time with smash brothers. I've been doing this for a decade plus, you know, the games that I made before. Um, he did double down on saying the next character will be the last one. You know, this will be the end of, uh, new content for smash brothers ultimate. And that he says, it'll be a while before that final character is announced, but it will be out before the end of the year as promised. Patrick, do you feel like they in um are like should we have different expectations for this last one as far as like who the character would be, kind of like the um gravity of the character versus any of the ones that yeah, have come wow. before? Um, I mean, I I I think we just gotta have to go with the uh, you know, common nintendo axiom of like you can't predict what this next move is going to be yeah um is it going to be like a wild swing for the fences are we are we going to see sora from kingdom hearts like possibly uh is are are they just going to like play it like straight down the plate and finally give us like waluigi like i don't (laughs) know like maybe like all these things are possible and like is it going to be another character that has you know it's a totally unique way of interacting with the game like is it going to be another minecraft steve right um or is it going to be you know just like another is it going to be someone who just like fits the the mold of smash brothers um i think there's literally no way to know and no way that uh no way that it won't be surprising like there's just no way to get on top of it i I think you're totally right i also think that there's no way that it won't be some measure of disappointing to people (laughs) just because you know like uh there are so many like sora like uh master chief you know like there are like characters yeah. out there that like loom large on fans' wish lists. And so I think no matter who it ends up being, there is going to be disappointment. And I kind of like the part of me that, uh, uh, you know, uh, I wants to see the world burn thinks it would be really funny if he was another Fire Emblem character with a sword. I mean, there's not going to be a Fire Emblem game that comes out between. Uh, now and when this that character can, that is re- won't stop uh, them. released and that revealed. won't stop them. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Mark does just want to see the world burn, <laughs> I guess. Uh, news of Metroid Dread 
has sent the sales numbers for legacy games in the series skyrocketing, uh, relatively speaking. The Wii U virtual console versions of Metroid Zero Mission for the Game Boy Advance and Metroid Fusion for the Game Boy Advance are currently number one and number two on the Wii U eShop bestsellers list. And the Metroid Prime Trilogy is number four. Uh, Brain Age is number three. So just squeaking out uh, Metroid Prime Trilogy. There's probably like not a ton of people buying games on the Wii U right now on the Wii U eShop. But still, the ones that are, uh, they're also in a Metroid state of mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, it's it, it seems to fit the pattern of like, um, who's buying games on those platforms right now? Probably Nintendo enthusiasts. And Nintendo enthusiasts right now are just thinking about Metroid, especially about 2D Metroid. And like, you know, if you want to play a, a Fusion and Zero Mission on modern hardware of any kind, you have to do it on the Wii U eShop of all places. Not even on the 3DS. Yeah, that's so, that's crazy to me. Um, but the 3DS isn't left out of Metroid games entirely. Samus Returns is near the top of the 3DS eShop bestseller list. Uh, it is number two, beaten out by Pokemon Crystal. Um, the 3DS continues to be a Pokemon machine with uh, one, two, three, four, five, six of the top 10 being Pokemon games. Yeah, I mean, it's it, we, we don't have to like run through what all of these games are, but two of the other games are uh, the Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask 3D remakes and uh, Tomodachi Life. So like there's a Tomodachi Life is like a phenomenon, uh, you know, just like a weird sales anomaly that people just bought. Um, and then like Pokemon is Pokemon. Uh, and then like Zelda, Zelda and Metroid. So like it's that I have to imagine that that is a pretty good selling list of games. It's cool to see uh, a Metroid game so high up there. And I have to imagine that there are a lot of people um, checking this game out that uh, like aren't revisiting it, but that are like looking at it for the first time, you know, that uh, we're, we're like, nah, I don't need to play. Uh, I'm on the switch now. I don't need to go back and play a 3DS game. Um, but I, I like the idea that there are, are, are some fresh eyes on Samus Returns now. I hope so. I'm all for Metroid Fever, and I hope it carries us through, like, uh, I hope the game yeah. Metroid Dread is awesome, and so I hope in October it's all we can talk about. Like, I, I, would, I would love for the discourse to be inundated with Metroid talk. That would be amazing. Um, Zero M Mission and Fusion carts, for, like the original carts for the GBA, are being offered for insane amounts on eBay right now. Like if you look the the auctions, the like asking prices are like hundreds of dollars for these carts. Um, but it looks like when you actually look at what they're being sold for, there it's like between like thirty and a hundred dollars. It seems like what auctions in the U.S. Uh, eBay store are going for, which seems like reasonable ish. Um, like thirty bucks for a GBA game, like maybe a um, hundred dollars seems a little crazy, but. You, if you well, yeah, that seems like a lot yeah yeah um they they don't have any in stock but uh gamestop has uh both games listed as as 35 dollars um which also still seems like a lot like it uh, you shouldn't pay that much for a, a game boy advance game if you have a wii u you can play it for like seven dollars i know that's the thing is like you shouldn't you shouldn't have to pay so much but you have no alternative, right? Unless you're going to like right. purchase a Wii U and then buy 
um like these games yeah i don't know i i yeah i just genuinely wish that they were available to play on switch and i am hopeful that before october uh nintendo will give us some sort of way to do that not like i'm not banking on it but uh not gonna happen uh, man hope springs eternal Uh, Last week, Square Enix held a live stream celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Mana series, and during the event, they announced that a new Mana game is in the works. No title, screenshots, concept art, platforms, release window, or anything was announced. It was almost just like a casual mention that it's like, hey, like we are working on something. Um, There's also an anime, The Legend of Mana, uh, The Teardrop Crystal, was announced. It's produced by Warner Brothers Japan, and that's also all we know no release date or anything like that um i'm sorry if this is a question that puts you on the spot but is has there been a game since the uh legend of mana on the one that was just re-released so i don't know but i i I don't yeah yeah, i don't i don't know i don't think so but i'm not sure i mean i feel like this would be the perfect opportunity if they're looking for something to uh while we wait for this more news of this mana game, this would be the perfect time for Secret of Evermore to make a return, right? Oh, Mark, how dare you? How <laughs> dare you tease me like that? I mean, it, it is interesting to see how much um, Square Enix has been pushing um, the, the mana games, the Psychic and Setsu games, um, as like either new packages. Uh, you know, there was the collection that uh, collected the first three games. Um, there was the remake of the first one a couple years ago. Um, and then also the remake of Trials of Mana um, that also just came out maybe like two or three years ago. Um, and then the remake of uh, Legend of Mana. Um, it's a lot. It, it is a lot of remakes of these games. Uh, and like you can see them uh, doing that with a, a couple things, right? We also see that in the um, the Saga Frontier series or the, the Saga games that those were all, those first the first three of those games from Game Boy were also collected recently. Um, so it's cool to see them like resurfacing these games, but it still has me being like, Hey, where's Chrono Trigger? Where's Chrono Cross? Um, you know, we, we got a a sliver of information about the first six Final Fantasy, um, pixel remakes, um, just coming to phones and steam. Um, but it's like, I don't know, like who's, who's making decisions over there about like what games to bring back and how. Um, cause I don't think they're doing it right. <laughs> well, I, I was reading, or I saw a headline. I'm not going to lie. I didn't read it, but I just saw a headline <laughs> that, uh, Square Enix, uh, somebody from Square Enix was saying that these like remasters that they've been re-releasing of these classic games, um, have been overperforming, like performing better than they expected. And right. so I, I think like it is a strategy that is working for them. Um, also I, I looked up the mana series and like, no, in no way. So, okay. So Trials of Mana, right, was released yeah. in 1995. Then Dawn of Mana was a 3D game on the PlayStation 2 that was released in 2006. So there was like an 11-year gap. Um, wow. But then Legend of Mana is, was a spinoff in 1999. And then there, are, there's, there was a DS game, Children of Mana, in 2006. And then there oh, are, yeah. a, I guess there's Heroes of Mana for the Nintendo DS. There are a ton of mobile games. So uh, the series is alive and well in Japan, at least. Uh, I think in, in America, we haven't seen quite so many releases. Uh, that, that tracks, but uh, I mean, uh, the thing that my heart wants more than anything is, of course, some other iteration of The Secret of Evermore. I love that game. 
NIS America has announced that they're localizing quite a few more Falcom RPGs for North America. These games will release on Switch, PS4, and PC. Um, these are games that I'm not that familiar with, so I'm going to run down some titles, but they don't really mean... I don't have much to say about them. Um, Legend of Heroes Trails from Zero is released in fall 2022. Legend of Heroes Trails to Azure and Legend of Heroes Trails into Reverie uh, will both arrive in 2023. Trails of Cold Steel, which uh, NIS America localized some entries for Switch not that long ago, is like a sub-series of these Trails of Hero games. Or, sorry, Legend of Heroes games. Interestingly, NIS America is partnering with a fan translation group, the Geofront, on the localization of Trails to Azure and Trails into Reverie. And so mm. they like um, are using it as the base for their local their English official English localization and the um uh the Geofront have they've taken down their like fan patches for now now that it's like officially part oh, of Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh there's also the Legend of Neuta Boundless Trails which was originally a PSP game will also release in 2023. So if I guess if you are a Falcom RPG fan or wanting to be a Falcom RPG fan, uh, NIS America has you covered in the next couple of years. Mark, I, I love this. I love transitioning from a, uh, a mana series story to uh, a Falcom RPG story uh, and just realizing the sheer depth of RPGs that I will never have any knowledge about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like one of the like biggest things that I take away from doing this podcast is just like how uh there are so many games out there and like the breadth of my gaming knowledge is just like a tiny like tiny sliver, <laughs> just a sliver. Yeah. yeah. Uh finally, Nintendo is ending support of Spl- Splatoon 2's online lounge feature in the Nintendo Switch online app. This only affects the app. Um, they said players have been able to use the online lounge feature of the Nintendo Switch online app to arrange Splatoon 2 online battles using their smart device, such as by sending a URL link that allows social media friends to join a room. As of July 28, 2021, the Nintendo Switch online app will no longer support the online lounge feature. However, the app will continue to allow friends to voice chat and no other changes will be made to the app at this time. You can also continue to start a local or online multiplayer game in Splatoon 2 without use of the online lounge feature. And to this I say, boo. This is pretty lame. Yeah, it's it's as though they looked at the Nintendo Switch online app on phones and decided the problem was that it didn't have, that it had too much functionality. I know, it's crazy. They were like, let's take features away from this thing. It's, I mean, it, it has such potential to be like a genuine hub of your gaming experience. Um, and it simply isn't, um, you know, like the, I, I, I don't play too much on my PlayStation anymore, but like the PlayStation app is really useful. Like I can see what my friends are playing. I can track my progress on trophies. I can buy stuff. Um, and like, it's all super easy and just like super intuitive and you just sign in and like, it knows what's going on. Um, and like the Nintendo switch app, like is, uh, it, it's you pushing uphill to try and get it to uh, just communicate with your friends as you're playing with them already on the switch it just feels like every nintendo first party release should have 
a sub app within the Nintendo Switch like phone totally. mobile app. And the fact that only like like less than a handful of them do is just kind of like, yeah, it's such a Nintendo talks about wanting to, you know, use mobile games to um get people interested in their characters that way they'll buy like a Nintendo console. And it's like I feel like you could get people engaging with your like that are an it can go both ways, I guess is what I'm saying. Is like you get people yeah, who are totally you know playing your console and but maybe aren't playing it all the time, but are using their phones. That if you give them a reason to check it out, that would just create a halo effect for like your entire ecosystem. And like Patrick, I cannot. I know you've brought this up in the past, and I think it is the best idea ever. This should be a music player. Oh, one hundred percent. This it should absolutely. If you have a game that has a music player in it, and you are playing that game on your Switch, you should be able to play all of those songs on your phone through the Nintendo Switch online app as you unlock them in the game that you are playing. It, I don't... Why isn't that a feature? <laughs> Especially because... Okay, so uh, Smash Brothers like has a music player that they're so proud of, right? You can continue... You can set it to continue to play music even when you have it set to sleep. So, like, they know or suspect or hope that you're going to want to hear the music so much that you're going to play it even when you're not playing the system at all. Um, and, and, and no one's like, oh, should we have that feature available on, on the phone? No one says that. And like, if all of if it's just like streaming stuff, like if you're on Wi-Fi, like why, why not? What is the harm? Yeah. Why wouldn't they do that? Pretty lame, Nintendo. Pretty lame. Pretty lame. Pretty bold to be removing features from the Nintendo Switch Online yeah. app. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, you know, how uh, this will be the end of us complaining about an app that we never use anyway. So, you know, <laughs> a fair play, I guess. All right, Mark, let's get out of the news. That is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, you can rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts. If you like the episode, you can share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff, opinions, articles, other podcasts, but mostly episodes of this show. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell. And the show is at Nincart Society. And again, if you tweet a Super Mario Maker level at any of those uh, Twitter handles, I will play it. Um, you can also check out our Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller starting a campaign for the dog from Secret Evermore to be the final Smash DLC character. And saying thank you for listening. It's Mia. Hey, it's Allie. And we host the Rom-Com Review Podcast, P.S. I Love Rom-Coms. Each week, we'll have incredible guests come and discuss a new rom-com, grand gestures, meet-cutes, and of course, that elusive chemistry. Mia, what are you doing holding that giant boombox over your head? I'm hoping to win over listeners with this grand gesture. Take us back! Find a new episode every week. And subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Campfire Media. Wow, you're uh, still holding that boombox. Yeah, I've got great upper body strength. Thanks, CrossFit. P.S. I love rom-com.
Campfire.